Chapter thirty four of Deerbrook. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Deerbrook by Harriet Martineau. Chapter thirty four. Old and Young. One of the characteristics of this summer at Deerbrook was the rival parties of pleasure with which the village was entertained. There had been rival parties of pleasure the preceding year, but from what a different cause! Then all were anxious to do honor to Hester and Margaret, or to show off in their eyes. Now the efforts made were, on one hand, to mortify, and on the other, to sustain them. The Rollins had a carriage party to the woods one week, and the Greys cavalcade to the flower show at Blickley the next. The Rollins gave a dinner to introduce Mr. Walcott to more and more of their country neighbors, and the Greys had a dance in the green walk for the young people of the village. The Rollins went to a strawberry gathering at Sir William Hunter's, and the Greys, with all their faction, as Mrs. Rowland called it, were invited to a syllabub under the cow at the Miss Andersons' breaking up for the holidays. All pretense of a good understanding between the two families was now at an end. They ceased to invite each other, and scrambled for their mutual acquaintances. The best of their mutual acquaintances saw no reason for taking part in the quarrel, and preserved the strict neutrality, and the worst enjoyed being scrambled for. The Levitts visited both families, and entertained everybody in return, as if nothing was happening. Sir William and Lady Hunter ate their annual dinner with each, and condensed to pay two or three extra visits to Mrs. Rowland, without making a point of a full moon. Every circumstance that happened afforded occasion for comment, of course. Mrs. Gray thought it very improper in the Rollins to indulge in all this gaiety while they were in deep mourning. It was painful to her feelings, she owned, to hear the children shouting with laughter, while they were all bombazine and crape from head to foot. She had hoped to see the memory of her dear old friend treated with more respect. In vain did Mr. Hope plead Mrs. Enderby's delight in the mirth of children, and that their innocent gaiety would cheer her in her grave. If it could reach her there, in vain did Hester urge the danger and sin of training the little creatures to hypocrisy, a probable result, if they were to be kept solemn and unamused to the day when they might put off their mourning. Mrs. Gray felt herself only the more called upon by all this to furnish the amount of sighs and tears which she believed to be due to Mrs. Enderby's memory. Margaret rather sided with her. It was so sweet to, to her to hear. Philip's mother mourned. Mrs. Gray's tears were, however, interspersed with smiles. On the day of the Rollins' great dinner-party, when all was to be so stately for the hunters, when the noon dessert service was procured from Staffordshire, the fish had not arrived from London. This was certainly a fact. The fish had come by the coach the next morning, and was still more remarkable. It had not occurred to Mrs. Rowland that such an accident might happen, was very likely to happen, and as if she had been an inexperienced housekeeper. She had not any dished in reserve, in case of the non-arrival of the fish. It was said that Mrs. Rowland had sat down to table with a face perfectly crimson with anxiety and vexation. To such a temper as hers, what a vexation it must have been. There was a counterpart to the story for Mrs. Rowland. 
she fancied that mrs grey's friends the andersons must have looked rather foolish on occasion of their great syllabub party she hoped the miss andersons trained their pupils better than their cows they had a sad obstreperous cow she understood some of the young ladies had lit up the lawn with the potato and got it to stand still to be milked but when somebody began to sing she had no doubt it was miss ibbotson who sang the poor animal found the music was not to its taste and of course it kicked away the china bowl and pranced down the lawn again there was a dirge sung over the syllabub no doubt the poor miss andersons must have been terribly annoyed the good understanding of the gentlemen seemed all this time to be uninterrupted they had much to put up with at home on his account but their good humour towards each other remained unbroken mr rowland's anxious face and his retirement within the enclosure of his own business told his neighbours something of what he had to go through at home mrs grey was vexed with her husband that he did not visit hope's misfortunes upon mr rowland and call the husband to account for the mischief the wife had caused and hester more than once expressed some resentment against her relation for not exposing edward's cause more warmly hope told her this was not reasonable remember said he as they sauntered in their garden one evening that these gentlemen must be more wary than we are which is saying a great deal of these perpetual squabbles and they must earnestly desire to have peace in the counting-house god forbid that their dominions should be invaded for our sake not for our sake only but for the sake of justice everything depends on the sort of men you have to deal with in such cases as this you must not expect too much here are two kind-hearted men bound to each other by mutual goodwill and mutual interest there is no other resemblance between them except that they are both overpowered made rather cowardly by the circumstances of their environment one departing from their plan of keeping the peace they would be plunged into quarrel they view things so differently from the differences of their minds that their only safety is in avoiding altogether all subjects of deerbrook contention if you expect the heroism of devoted friendship or of an enthusiastic sense of justice from such men you will not find it we must take them as they are and humbly accept such countenance as they choose to bestow take it or leave it as you will there is no use in quarrelling with them for not being what they are not that is all be generous with them and do not expect from them the conduct which they have a right to expect from you i rather wonder observed margaret that they have had the courage to go so far as they do in bearing testimony in your favour they have been very handsome in their conduct on the whole and it would grieve me sincerely if they were to suffer further than they have already done on my account i am afraid mr rowland is wretched now because i will accept no assistance from him he told me the other day that he should receive no rent for his house while walcott occupies the other he was beyond measure mortified when i positively declined being under any such obligation to any landlord if mr rowland steadily refuses to turn us out of our house and goes on offering favors that i cannot accept that is all we can expect from him it never occurred to me that he can turn us out said hester that we are tenants at will oh how sorry i should be to go she continued as she surveyed the place i should grieve to quit our first home there is no danger i believe mr rowland will be firm on that head 
"'And there is no danger, I should think,' said Margaret, "'but that the Greys should find us something better the next day. "'Oh, I do not know where or how, "'but it would be such a splendid opportunity for patronage "'that they would work miracles rather than let it slip. "'How far this ivy had trailed over the wall already! "'I should be sorry to leave this garden now "'that it promises to look like itself so soon again. "'Sydney despises me for my admiration of it at present.' He looks melancholy about the blight. It is a pity, certainly. Look at this rose-bush, how curled and withered it is. Sydney is doing like everyone else in looking grave about the blight, observed Hope. So bad a reason has not been known since I came to Deerbrook. I see care in the face of many and one who does not stand anything like our chance of want. Here comes Sydney with news of every ill-looking field for five miles round. I doubt not." "'And Mr. and Mrs. Gray and Sophia,' said Hester, quitting her husband's arm and hastening to meet her friends. The Grays pronounced it so pleasant an evening that they had no wish to sit down within doors. They preferred walking in the garden. They seemed to come for two purposes, to offer an invitation and to relate that Mr. Walcott was gone to dine at Sir William Hunter's to-day, and that Sir William had sent the carriage for him.' Mr. Walcott had not been ready to full five minutes after the carriage had driven up to the door. This delay was no doubt intended to give all Deerbrook time to observe the peculiar consideration in which Mr. Walcott was treated by Sir William and Lady Hunter, who were by no means in the habit of sending their carriage for their Deerbrook guests. "'Did you ever hear of such a thing,' said Sophia, "'as sending a carriage for a young man? I have no doubt it is because he cannot ride.' "'There you are out, Sophie,' cried Sidney. "'Mr. Walcott rides as well as Mr. Hope every bit.' "'I cannot think what has happened to Sidney,' observed his mother. "'He does nothing but stand up for Mr. Walcott in the most unaccountable way. "'I hope you will forgive it, Mr. Hope. "'Boys take strange fancies, you know. "'You must forgive it, my dears, in consideration of the rest of us.' "'Instead of forgiving it,' said Hope, "'I shall take leave, rather to admire it. There is a fine chivalrous spirit, shown in frightening Mr. Walcott's battles with our friends and relations. There, now, cried Sidney, triumphantly, but I cannot help it. You see, Mr. Walcott can ride, and he does ride well, and he is very civil to me, and asks me to go fishing with him, and I am sure he always inquires very respectfully after the rest of them. I never said any more than that in praise of him, and I can't say less, can I, when they are all abusing him for whatever he does? I think not. I believe we may spare him that much credit without grudging. But, Sidney, you know it is not pleasant to us to hear you speak in praise of Mr. Walcott under present circumstances, and you should have little consideration for us. Well, mother, if you will not speak of him at all, no more will I. And he glanced up into his mother's face to see how the proposition was taken. That is fair, is not it? He inquired of Mr. Hope. "'Excellent in theory, Sidney, but who likes to be tied down not to speak on any subject, especially one which is turning up every hour? Your plan will not answer.' "'I will ask you because I said I would, and all the more because you are not cross about Mr. Walcott.' "'Hold your tongue, Sidney,' said the mother. "'Do not be ridiculous, Sidney,' advised the sister. "'Mr. Hope will say whether it is ridiculous, Sophie.' Now, Mr. Hope, would not you and Cousin Hester and Margaret go down the water with us to the Abbey, just the same if Mr. Walcott was with us? With any guest of your father's and mother's, Sidney, we have no quarrel with Mr. Walcott. The truth is, we feel, after all we have heard, 
that we know very little about him. We have not the slightest objection to meet Mr. Walcott. Neither wish nor objection, said Hester calmly. We are perfectly indifferent about him. Sidney vehemently beckoned his father, who left the apricot he and Margaret were examining by the surgery wall, and came to see what was wanted for. You see, said he to Hope, when the matter was explained, I have naturally been rather anxious to bring this about this meeting between you and the young man in a small place like this. It is painful to have everybody quarrelling and not to be able to get one's friends about one for fear they should brawl in one's very drawing-room. Mr. Rowland is one of my mind there, and I know it would gratify him if I were to take some notice of this young man. I really could hardly refuse, knowing how handsomely Mr. Rowland always speaks of you and yours, and believing Mr. Walcott to be a very respectable, harmless young man. If I thought it would injure your interests in the least, I would see him at Cape Horn, before I would invite him, of course. You must be aware of that, and I should not think of asking you to meet Mrs. Rowland. That would be going too far. But Mrs. Gray wishes that your wife and Margaret should visit these ruins that we were always prevented from getting to last year, and Mr. Walcott is anxious to see them, too, and he has been civil to Sydney, and in short I believe that Sydney half promised that he should go with us. Say no more, replied Hope. You will have no difficulty with us. I really know nothing against Mr. Walcott. He had a perfect right to settle where he pleased. Whether the manner of doing it was handsome or otherwise is of far more consequence to himself than to me or to anyone else. I wish we all viewed the matter as you do. If the ladies had your temper, we should have been a heaven upon earth. But they take things up so warmly, you see, when their feelings are interested for anybody. Mrs. Rowland for one, and my wife for another, I hardly know what she will say to the idea of our having Walcott with us. Let us go and see. I have a word to say to you first. Do you know of any one who wants a horse? I am going to dispose of mine. Mr. Walcott wants a horse, said Sidney, delighted at the idea of solving a difficulty. Hope smiled, and told Mr. Gray that he had rather sell his horse at a distance Mr. Walcott had already hired the boy Charles, whom Hope had just dismissed, and if he obtained the horse too, the old servant who knew his way to every patient's door, all the country round, it really would look too like the unpopular man, patronizing his opponent. Besides, it would be needlessly publishing in Deerbrook that the horse was given up. "'What is the fault of your horse?' asked Mr. Gray, rousing himself from an absent fit. "'Merely that he eats, and therefore is expensive.' I cannot afford now to keep a horse, he declared, in answer to Mr. Gray's stare of amazement. I have so few patients, now out of walking reach, that I have no right to keep a horse. I can always hire, you know, from Reeves. Upon my soul I am sorry to hear this, extremely sorry to hear it. Matters must have gone further than I had any idea of. My dear fellow, we must see how we can serve you. You must let me accommodate you indeed you must rather than give up your horse do not speak of it you are very kind but we need no help i do assure you my mind is quite made up about the horse it would only be an incuberance now and to satisfy you i will mention that i have declined repeated offers of accommodation offers very strongly urged all i need ask of you is to help me to dispose of my horse somewhere out of deerbrook 
I will manage that for you the next time I go to market, and in the emotion of the moment, Mr. Gray was on the point of offering the use of his own horse when it should be at home. But he stopped short on the verge of his rash generosity. He was very particular about no one riding his horse but himself and the man who groomed it. He remembered his friend's hopes, rapid riding, and enthusiasm, and suspected that he should sooner or later repent the offer. So he changed it into, I will get your horse disposed off to the best advantage. You may depend on it, but I am very sorry, very sorry indeed. It is probable that nothing could have been reconciled the ladies of Mr. Gray's family to the idea of admitting Mr. Walcott into their party. But the fact that they had of late cut rather than a poor figure in contrast to Mrs. Rowland, that lady had the advantage of novelty in the person of Mr. Walcott, and her faction was by far the larger of the two. The Greys found fault with all its elements, but there was no denying its superiority of numbers. It was a great hardship to have Mr. Walcott forced upon them, but they reflected that his presence might bring a reinforcement, that some neighbors would perhaps come to meet him, who would be otherwise engaged to the Rollins for the very day on which they were wanted for mrs rowland had the art of pre-engaging just the people the greys intended to have sophie observed that mr walcott's presence would be less of a restraint in a boat and at tea among the ruins than in a drawing-room there was always something to be said about the banks and the woods and there was singing and in a boat people were not obliged to talk unless they liked she should not wonder if he would rather relish a little neglect he had been made much of lately at such a ridiculous rate if we do our part my love said mrs gray to hester in a mysterious low voice i think you should exert yourselves a little nothing can be done without a little exertion in this world you know sophia and i were agreeing that it is a long time since you had any of your friends about you very few since your wedding company observed sophia we remember you had all your acquaintance in the winter my dear it was very proper i am sure all you did then but it is now the middle of july you know and our neighbors if deerbrook always expect to be invited twice a year i should be happy to see them i assure you said hester but it happens to be not convenient not convenient my dear just so we shall always be glad to see you and yours but we have no hospitality to spare for the common world just now we have no servants you know but morris and we are spending as little as we can tea company costs so very little said sophia at this time of the year when you need not light candles till people are going away and when fruit is cheap and plentiful and we will take care of the cake interposed mrs gray sophia will make you come of her vicarage cake and a batch of almond biscuits and alice shall come and wait we can manage it very easily you are extremely kind but if our acquaintance are to eat your cake it had better be at your house it does not suit our present circumstances to entertain company. But it costs so very little, persisted Sophia. Mr. Russell Taylor's father used to give a general invitation to all his friends to come to tea in the summer, because, as he said, they then cost him only two pence halfpenny a head. I am afraid we are not such good managers as Mr. Russell Taylor's father, replied Hester, laughing and if we were it is not convenient to spend even two pence halfpenny a head upon our common acquaintance at present 
If we grow richer, we will get our friends about us, without counting the cost so closely as that. That time will soon come, Sophia, my dear, said her mother, winking at Hester. In every profession, you know, there are little ups and downs, and particularly in the medical, I dare say. If the truth were whole, there is scarcely any professional man, without private fortune, who has not at some time of his life broken into his last guinea without knowing where he is to get another. But professional people generally keep their difficulties to themselves. I fancy, Hester, they are not often so frank as you. Mind that, Sophia. You will be discreet, Sophia. We have no intention of proclaiming in the streets that we are as poor, said Hester, but we owe it to you, dear Mrs. Gray, to give our reasons for not doing all that we and you might wish. We are not dissatisfied. We want no help or pity, but we must live as we think right, that is all. Indeed, my dear, I must say you do not look as if anything was amiss. You look charmingly indeed. Charmingly indeed, echoed Sophia, and Mrs. Levitt was saying, that Margaret seems to have grown quite handsome this summer. I fancy Mrs. Rowland gets very few to agree with her as to Margaret being so very plain. No, indeed, Margaret's countenance is so intelligent and pleasant that I always said, from the beginning, that nobody but Mrs. Rowland could call her plain. I suppose we shall soon be losing her, Hester. Oh, no, not soon. She has no thought of leaving us at present. She would not go in the spring and sit beside Philip, while he was learning his lessons, and now still they wait, I believe, till the lessons are finished. She would not. Well, that shows what love will do. That shows what her power over Mr. Enderby is. We used to think, indeed, everybody used to say it of Mr. Enderby, that he always managed to do as he liked. He carried all his points, yet even he is obliged to yield. Margaret has a way of carrying her points, too, said Hester the best way in the world, by being always right. Mind that, Sophia. But, my dear Hester, I am really anxious about you. I had no idea, I am sure. I hope you get your natural rest. Perfectly, I assure you, Mrs. Harwell might envy me. If she still cannot sleep for matching of worsteds, the simple truth is, Mrs. Gray, we never were so happy in our lives. This may seem rather perverse, but so it is. Mrs. Gray sighed that Mrs. Rowland could not be aware of this. Hester thought it was no business of Mrs. Rowland's, but Mrs. Gray could not but feel that it would be a great satisfaction that she should know that those whom she halted slept. She heard Margaret and Sidney saying something in the middle of the grass plot about the Milky Way looking up. She was surprised to perceive how plain it was and how many stars were twinkling in the sky. She was sure Hester must be dreadfully tired with sauntering about so long. They had been very inconsiderate, and must go away directly. Sidney must call his father. They are delightful young people, really, observed Mrs. Gray to her husband, during their walk home. One never knows how to get away. Lady Hunter little supposes that she loses in not cultivating them. Go on before us, Sophia. Make haste home with your sister, Sidney. But, my dear, they speak in a very poor way of their affairs. Oh, Hester spoke to you, did he? Hope told me he must part with his horse. So Hester spoke to you? Yes, not at all, in a melancholy way, however. She keeps up her spirits wonderfully. Poor girl. We really must push them, Mr. Gray. I see nothing but ruin before them. If we do not push them... 
Ah, there is the difficulty. That little enthusiasm of hopes comes in. I have a great respect for him, but I own I should like to see him a little more practical. I really am pleased to hear you say so. It is just what I think, and I always fancied you did not agree with me. It really puts me almost out of patience to hear him speak of Mr. Walcott, encouraging Sidney in his notions. It is unnatural. It looks a little like affectation, all that sort of feeling about Mr. Walcott. I do not object to that, I confess. His thinking fairly of Walcott can do no harm, and may have mischief, and it looks honorable and well. I do not regret that, I own. But I think he is clearly wrong in selling his horse in such a hurry. All Deerbrook will know it directly, and it will not look well. I offered him such accommodation as he would enable him to keep it, but he is quite obstinate. Some enthusiastic notion of honor, I suppose. But I told them that there is no profession or business in the world that has not its ups and downs. Exactly what I told Hester, when she declined having any parties at present. It is the very crisis, in my opinion, when it is of great consequence that they should get their friends about them. Sophia would have made the cake, and Alice would have waited at tea. But the fact is, Mr. Hope has put some of his spirit into his wife, and they must take their own way, I suppose. He gave me his reasons, however, observed Mr. Gray. He regards this as something more than one of the slack times common in his profession. He will not accept obligation while he sees no clear prospect of being able to discharge it. I could not prevail upon him. However, they must have enough. They cannot be actually pinched. I never saw him in better spirits. There can be no occasion for our doing anything more than just seeing on the lookout to serve them. We must push them. That is all we can do. They cannot really be wanting anything, as you say, such fine spirits as they are in. Hester looks sweetly. The first game that we have to spare this season shall go to them, and I shall bear them in mind when we gather our apples. If you find we have any apples to gather, my dear, I doubt it. Do you really? It will be unfortunate for our young friends. If prices rise next winter, as you seem to expect, there goes ten o'clock, I declare, and there are the children looking out for us, as well they may. But those are really delightful young people. There is no getting away from them. End of chapter 34